Hey there, Bogus listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another installment of the Forever Bogus Podcast. And it's me, your host that knows the most, B-Boy, Bogus Bryce, a.k.a. Mr. Bryce himself. Staring in the face of my best friend, Jamie Killsby, the man with the plan, a.k.a. Uh, hey man, it's me, J-Dog, reporting uh, somewhere over satellite Earth. <laughs> I know you're kind of like over Earth, but did you happen to get my invite for the party? Is it uh, email? No, 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 no. It was a physical, like like snail mail. All right. Well, because I, I, lo- I lost I lost my AOL password, so um, uh, I'll check my MSN. <laughs> did you send it to my MSN? Damn it, Jamie. I'm talking about like a paper form. Anyway, you're invited to my TV party. I haven't been invited to a party in a long time. Uh, I, 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 I'm in space, so I'm very excited. What kind of – would you say TV party? Yes, yeah, a TV party, and our listeners are invited as well. I think it would be just so much fun if we focused this bogus cast episode on solely on – TV, TV shows, made for TV movies, weird music and stuff from TV shows. I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to have a TV party. I man. think that is a lot of fun. And I got one thing to say about that. What's that? Check, please. <laughs> TV party tonight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Bryce. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. It's Saturday morning. Okay. 1995. What are you doing? Well, it depends. If it's like 6 a.m. Saturday morning, I'm in front of the boob tube watching some cartoons. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Saturday morning cartoons uh, or such a staple. And I mean, because, you know, if you were like me and you didn't really get cable until you were a teenager or close to it, you know, Saturday morning cartoons were the only time that i could see cartoons you know other kids at disney channel and uh cartoon network nickelodeon stuff mm-hmm. i was really excited about saturday mornings now but i'm not here to talk to you about saturday morning cartoons <laughs> okay i'm here to talk to you about <laughs> a show that came on when saturday morning cartoons have concluded interesting okay Typically, after I watch cartoons, it was like one of those uh, really bad infomercial that lasted 30 minutes. So I'm, I'm very curious. Well, what- if you were me and it was 1995 and you were sitting in front of Fox watching the Saturday morning cartoons uh-huh. and hit 1130, okay. you're watching WMAC Masters. <laughs> Hell yes. Do you remember WMAC Masters at all? Um, was it wrestling related? <laughs> Barely. Okay. So here's the thing. Barely. Okay. okay. Maybe I don't then. I don't think you remember it because like, honestly, this would be, I know like the kind of play you get into. I know your kind of nostalgia. This is uh-huh. going to be your new favorite thing. <laughs> okay. I can't wait for this. Somebody was nice enough to put on almost the full season. There's only two seasons of WMAC Masters and it's all on YouTube Okay. Um, so I had it a little window open while I was working today. I watched about four hours of it. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> so I better explain to you what this is. Yes, please. If you I don't know so what it is. There's now. a there's a pretty good chance that other people don't. So okay. Saturday mornings in 95, if you were uh, watching Fox, Fox Kids, you know, your uh, X-Men animated series, your Spider-Man animated yep, Spider-Man, series. Spider-Man, yep. yep. Uh, 
they concluded at or the last program before they concluded was at eleven thirty, and it was a live action Mortal Kombat esque martial arts show. Okay, what? So it was clearly <laughs> like a Mortal Kombat. It was trying to sort of leapfrog off the popularity of Mortal Kombat. It's, okay, it, it's very clear like that. But it's also, I mean, this is brought to you by the ki- the the producers that would later bring you Pokemon, and just a few years prior brought you Power Rangers. So this is a Mortal Kombat-inspired show that is for kids, and it's shot like American Gladiators. It's shot to be, like, super real. So this is live action. It's live action, and it's... No, 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 no. It's live action. It's shot like a reality show, kind of, like with pre-fight interviews and stuff, and, like, (laughs) UFC. You know, like, Blade, what do you think's gonna happen to your fight later? And he's like... You know, lightning better stay out of my face. (laughs) You know, like all that shit. Hell yes. But so the show used real martial artists uh, and they choreographed these epic like tournament style battles. And uh, what was one of the cool things about it is there was live health bars on the screen, similar to like a fighting game. So as the thing's happening, you could see the guy's life bar going down. And it, it really makes it feel a lot like a PG Mortal Kombat. Um, and that's the one thing I re- I just I don't want before I go any further I really want to nail it down. It's like if you can imagine the people, not Bandai or not the Japanese company, but the people who finance the money to bring Power Rangers to the United States. Saban. They, no, not Saban. Like the higher up producers. If they for uh, oh, four kids entertainment. Okay. okay. If they put money out to make a show that was a mashup of Mortal Kombat and American Gladiators. That you know, that's what we're dealing with here. It's it's okay. fucking awesome. I, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> Please continue. There's generally like this uh, overarching storyline um, that went on throughout the show. Like some of these uh, fighters in the show, they're friends, and then they become enemies and stuff like that. Nothing too complex with the story. Okay, uh, but the main idea is that it was a continuing struggle for what was called the Dragon Star. Um, mm-hmm. in this reality show style fighting tournament. Okay. The Dragon Star is like their WWF championship belt, okay. but it's like a, it's like a big ninja star with a dragon on it. And so whoever is holding the, the, uh, the Dragon Star, it, like the that's champ. the, they're the champion. They're the best martial artists in the world. At the okay. Time. Okay. So they, it's like this, this constant struggle for it. Um, most of the episodes consisted of three matches. Okay. So there'd be one, a one-on-one match. And then there'd be another one-on-one match. And then the final match would be the two previous winners fighting each other. Okay. Um, the matches, they, they have – a lot of them have these stipulations and stuff like that. But generally how they start out is the two guys, a wave of ninjas comes out and tries to beat them both up. So they're working kind of together to beat these ninjas. And if there's any survivors from the ninja wave, the two guys fight each other. Okay. So they're all like worn <laughs> out from the ninjas. All right. Now – I want to mention, I was like six watching this, uh-huh. and it it felt real. Like, I definitely thought it was real um, early on. I mean, you're going to go watch it, and you're going to be like, what the fuck were you thinking? But definitely <laughs> for a six-year-old, you're like, you could be convinced that what's happening is real. There's like, really, it's even kind of scary at times for like a five or six-year-old, because the uh, uh, there's an announcer on the show, uh, and she is, uh, that's Bruce Lee's daughter in real life. Oh wow! And uh, but there's also a voiceover guy 
who sounds like what's the uh floating head in power rangers that gives them their missions and stuff zordon uh there's a voice that sounds like that but like distorted that is like in the next bout lightning versus blade <laughs> and it's like kind of scary and there's like alarms that like sirens are before the matches start and um it sounds were, pretty intense all these fights, they were uh, on these really cool stages that they referred to as battle zones. So there was like a ghost town. There was one called Doom City, Mayan Mystery, Dark Alley, Pressure Pit, Stone Valley, Nuclear Nightmare, Danger oh Dock. Now, are these like stages that uh, are like on a green screen or something? Or is this like somebody actually no, built man, a they, set? No, they man. They had a real set and they filmed, they shot on um, Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Oh, wow. So my, yeah. one of my questions was, uh, is this regional? But I think you just answered that question. This is not regional. This is like on a, an actual uh, network yeah, that's, no, this that's is, national. This is the real so, deal. This was, this, was brought, uh, this was brought to Fox from uh, Four Kids. Okay. But there's also a really colorful cast of fighters that I love a lot. Uh, there's Turbo, <laughs> Tiger, Craw- Tiger Claw, Great Wolf, Olympus. Oh, let me tell you, uh, the only thing, <laughs> Great Wolf is a Native American who's obviously an Italian guy. So that's the one thing oh, that you got to. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. But besides that, it's it's I got to look past that. <laughs> Superstar, the machine. The machine was my favorite when I was a kid. He was, uh, he's like this cool black dude with dreadlocks who sometimes wears robot armor, but he's not. Kind of like Solo? He, not, yeah, kind of. Yeah, wow, you're right. Yeah. I like black robots. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, there was a lady named Tarantula, Red Dragon, Lady Lightning, Black Widow, Chameleon. There's there's many others, and they're all like really lovable. Wow. Uh, like I said, when I was a kid, my favorite was the Machine, but now I um, now that I've watched it a bit more, I kind of like the Turbo because he looks like Danzig. Is he short like Danzig too? <laughs> yeah, they're all short because they're all little karate guys. But okay, uh, okay. Out of two seasons, there was only. Uh, six episodes that were given a home release on VHS by uh, Anchor Bay put them out. Um, so three tapes total, two episodes each. Uh, this this is pure nostalgia for me. And I know we sort of say that a lot on the show or like in, imply that a lot. That when I was watching this, I was feeling like a way I haven't felt in a long time. Like watching something like, oh my God. Like it made well, me feel Well, when's so the last fuzzy. time you watched this? Or when's the last time you even thought about it? 1995. Wow. So it probably really did give you a nostalgia blast. Yeah. And uh, I was reminded of it because I was uh, looking up toys. And (laughs) I ran across these on the internet. And I had them as a kid. They had toys for the show uh, that were put out by Bandai. Wow. And they they came with these big giant, you know, that's the four kids connection, Bandai and Power Rangers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gundam Um, Wing and shit. So they're like the same size as Gundam Wings. (laughs) No, no, they were small and they were kind of like, uh, well, they were your regular like five inch size action figure, but they were um, kind of floppy at the limbs. And that was because they could like the karate fighters action figures of the same era. They could plug into the level. And then you uh-huh. spin, you know, they come with a playset. And then when you plug him into it, like click his feet into the floor, you can turn this dial and he starts kicking in all different directions. Oh, this um, is coming back to me. Yes, yeah, that sounds yeah, so yeah, familiar. Yeah. Yes. That's, okay, okay. What you're thinking of is Karate Fighters. Oh. Uh, those are the famous okay. ones. Uh, they just they just stole the gimmick from Karate Fighters for these figures. It, but, it works. Dude, this it is, works. Um, this is this is unadulterated uh, nostalgia for me, and I think that <laughs> knowing you and what you get into, you you're gonna be obsessed with this, dude. Okay, like, I'm gonna talk to you tomorrow, 
Hopefully you get to it as soon as tomorrow, and you're going to be like, dude, I fucking love this. WMAC Masters. I can't wait. Uh, one of the greatest shows. If not, I mean, ugh, go out there. I mean, there's no excuse. It's on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> greatest martial artist competing for the ultimate prize. All right, so let's change the channel here. So the first thing I want to talk about that's actually been on my mind most of this week are some rad dads from sitcoms. Oh, yeah, we've been talking about doing a full episode <laughs> on this for a long time, but I don't know if it's something that could, but uh, I know you love those dads, I, so let's hear about I it. I love those dads, and I don't know why I've been thinking about them. Maybe just because I've been revisiting some of these old shows, and I'm like, I wish you were my dad. So in this segment, I want to highlight the dads that I actually liked, and I wanted to be my dad, okay? Okay, cool. And then part two, you can talk about the dads you hate. <laughs> that, that I absolutely despise. But <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of great dads. There are a lot of great dads. So the first one I want to talk about is Marshall Darling from Clarissa Explains It All. He put up with a lot of shit. That dad put up with a lot of bullshit. He really did. Imagine if Ferguson was your son. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'd become a doctor and like, somehow make you rich as well in the process. You'd, you'd, probably, you'd probably hold his head underwater on accident, <laughs> you know, yeah. before on that accident. happened. Right, right, right. So well, Go ahead, tell me about this dad. So Marshall was an architect that designed really unusual shaped buildings for like retail stores and tourist um, attractions. I don't know if you remember this. Like one was like a carrot. Like a really cool carrot-looking store. It's weird, man. I think one was like a shoe, like shaped like a shoe for a shoe retail store. <laughs> it's pretty rad. I consider myself a nostalgic person who loves this era, but I can't, you know, I, I did not remember what Clarissa's dad did for a living. Wow, I'm pretty surprised because yeah. that seemed pretty prevalent in the show because I think a couple episodes is actually, like the the focus of the those couple episodes were on uh, going to a convention or something for uh, his designs, like his architectural designs. But I think what brought it in the most uh, for his creativity is that he used to be a hippie back in his college days, smoking that dope, dude. How do you know that? <laughs> How do you know that? I, You're trying to actually, smear this man. I'm not trying to smear him at all. From a, any political future. I just told you that he was a rad dude. He's a rad dad. <laughs> well, we think he's a rad dad, but if he ever runs for senator, you know, they're going to they're gonna come for him. Well, I'm pretty sure he'll say, like, I didn't inhale or some shit and get away with it. <laughs> totally I just brought okay. it into my mouth. <laughs> yeah. But that's how you, uh, he, well, that's how Marshall met Clarissa's mom was back in college. And they were both like flower power, flower children. They were hippies back in the day. So I guess it's a stereotype that you just automatically assume that they smoked weed together. But whatever. That's besides the point. Um, he always calls Clarissa sport. And I love that. I wish my dad called me sport. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. What if uh, Clarissa's parent, what if Clarissa is a prequel to Sabrina and uh, <laughs> actually uh, Clarissa's parents are uh, in college together in the school of witchcraft and wizarding and they get killed uh, by Snape. <laughs> Holy shit. And, uh, and then she's or, sent and, to go live with her aunts. <laughs> yeah, and they change her name because they try to keep like her from finding out her past and stuff like that. That's the kind or of maybe, shit I fuck or with. Or maybe Sabrina's her actual name. And yeah, they yeah. were trying to like, you know, call her Clarissa and stuff to kind of keep her away from that yeah. kind of darkness. That's this a pretty is, interesting. This is exactly theory. the kind of plea that this is the kind of play that I get into. You know that. You know I love this yes. kind of shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if you remember in one episode, uh, Marshall did a, a rap with uh, Clarissa's best friend, Sam. And it was like uh, about like architect and stuff like that. And I think his rapper name was MC Square. <laughs> mm, very good. A dad who I raps. And like, they right. come out, they're wearing like parachute pants, like MC Hammer and stuff. And like, yeah. Sam is getting it. See, like you got to go you, back and watch it. He's dancing and everything. I want to ask you about that real briefly. I know I keep asking, uh, take, asking That's a lot okay. of questions. But uh, do you think when he was rapping in this show... Are are we supposed to think that he's a nerd and it's cringy, or are we supposed to think like that's a cool rapping dad? No, I think we're supposed to be cringy because like Clarissa comes in, she's like, "Dad, stop!" Okay, what okay, are you okay. Because he was are... supposed to like present it. He's supposed to present it at like a career night or something. At sure, school, I mean, so. th- there, there's a lot of bad raps of the '90s <laughs> that like I think we're supposed to take seriously. Like hey, I know, I think majority of it, majority of the raps in the nineties. Put the cereal in the dish. Exactly. I don't know. I can't think of the rest of it. Anyway, so Marshall Darling was played by Joe O'Connor, which um, Clarissa was like his big break, and it's kind of like his first real acting job. But he went on to act in like so many more TV shows, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is a very interesting overlap. It could that fan theory could be true. Um, he was also in Friends. He was uh, in Melrose Place. He was in quite a few episodes of Mad Men. He was even in a couple episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. How about that? Uh, okay. I don't want to play in this fan theory too much, but I think that... <laughs> <laughs> also, Mal- Malcolm is a wizard. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Uh, let's not go too deep. This is for another okay. episode. All right. All right. <laughs> another episode. So the the next dad I want to highlight here to wrap up my pick is Roger Rockmore from Keenan and Kel. Oh yeah, that's a cool fucking dad. I well, he's only cool to his family. He absolutely hates Kel. He despises him. But anyway, so Keenan's dad uh, is a stern air traffic controller. That's his uh, profession. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, I I know everything about this stuff. Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't know that. That's cool. That's good to know. And like I said, he really loves his family, but he hates Kel and his family. Uh, But (laughs) Kel is constantly over at Keenan's place because apparently his uh, parents are scientists and like are rarely home. (laughs) So Mm. that's a whole other thing right there. Do you think that scientists Um, is them cooking meth? (laughs) Because that's what I think. We can go with that. That's fine. <laughs> we got a lot of fan theories tonight. A lot, just with this one pick here. So yeah, yeah. Roger, as you may know, is short-tempered. Um, he really hates being around Kel, even though uh, it's like Keenan's best friend and stuff. But the biggest reason why I'm bringing him up is not because of like how rad of a dad he is, but like mostly the actor, uh, Ken Forey. And Ken oh, Forey, yeah. as you should know, is a huge B-horror actor. Hell yeah, man. Huge. And he's best known for his work on Dawn of the Dead, From Beyond, Death Spa, Leatherface, The Chainsaw Massacre 3, like almost all of Rob Zombie films. He has over 111 acting credits in his career so far. He's the, he's, uh, he's the dude, and uh, well, I used to quote it all the time. He goes, you call me a chicken fucker? And uh, Devil Rejects. 
<laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah. That's him. So he grew up loving horror movies. In fact, he said, uh, I am a fan, you know. I grew up with these scare-me-to-death kind of chills every Friday night on Chiller Theater or whatever oh, the Friday Theater. night uh, scary movie series was in my hometown. I grew up with that, wanting to be afraid and terrorize my brothers. So he's been a fan of horror since he was little. And he's just like a very down-to-earth guy. He goes to a bunch of cons. He loves meeting his fans. He just loves acting. He loves his career. Yeah, he, he loves horror, and uh, he's always been involved in horror. And there's no horror more horrific than working really hard to build a, to build a family and get a house. And then uh, uh, <laughs> the, su- the son of, uh, of a meth dealer uh, won't leave your house, and he breaks all your right. stuff. And he spills orange soda all over your stuff. I would be pissed if I was him too. I, I would be pissed too. But he, I love the the way that he loves his family, especially like Keenan. And uh, I wish both Marshall and Roger with my, were my dads. Maybe in a yeah. gay couple relationship. I'm totally cool with that. Oh, my two dads. two dads. My two yeah. dads. Hey, is that a sitcom yet or anything? That should be a I, sitcom. I think it is. It, it's My two dads. I think it is. I think it is. Anyway, okay. before we go too deep in more fan theories, let's change the channel here, man. Throw your hands up in the air. Let's not get to empty square. Gosh. All right. Well, I'll tell you a different. This is a totally different take. And, and I, 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 exp- I imagine that you'll know. What I'm talking about in this one, but if not, I, I'm happy to fill you in. I want to talk about a failed NBC pilot from 1990 called Puchinski. Oh, yes. This is my shit right here. I love failed pilots, and I've heard of this before, so I'm excited to get into this. So, Puchinski um, stars Peter Boyle, uh, who most famously is like Young Frankenstein, or if you're from a different crowd he's he's the father and everybody loves raymond he's he's yep. very recognizable he's one of those guys that you see him you know exactly well i've seen that guy before well this right. his voice definitely yeah so he's he plays this sort of hard-boiled seen some shit kind of old cop named puchinski that's his last name um and he's <laughs> killed in the line of duty and he comes back as a talking farting english bulldog uh so that this is this is the pilot man this is people put money behind this and they tried to pitch it to the network. The network actually shot this down before they even aired it. But I think they were just like looking for some filler that day. So they already knew they weren't making the show, but they yes. still played the pilot. Um, so early on, uh, you, you know, like I was saying, he, he's got he's like this old seen some shit kind of. He's like, eh, you know, another day being a cop, blah, blah, blah. So uh, he sees these kids in this alleyway and they're just like punching this dog in the face. Like just the they like really there's <laughs> four so kids just b- punching these this dog in the like that's like the most evil thing you know and it's it not is. even played but uh so Puchitsky shows up he's on the job he's a hard boiled detective and uh I think this is his last day on the force if I, I could be wrong but I think this is like his last day on the force he's like yeah he's hard boiled so he's just like I'm over this I'm glad I'm retiring I I, I think they mentioned him retiring I I I just rewatched it yesterday I don't remember but I think they possibly okay, mentioned okay. him retiring. Okay. Um, but, uh, he, he threatens to shoot the kids, which is, I think is great because, uh, (laughs) but because he does it in a fun way, you know? And, and that's the thing is, and you you can't threaten to shoot kids in a fun way anymore. Back in 1990, you could pull the trigger. Hey kids, if you don't get out of here, and they oh, they all scrap, but yeah, like, they run. Yes, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to be like, oh my god, this fuck. You're supposed to be like, ah, 
have Puchinski threatening to shoot the kids. <laughs> um, so he he saves the bulldog dog from these kids that are beating it up or whatever, and he starts bringing it around on the job with them and stake out and stuff like that. And Puchinski's got this partner who is like sort of a oh he voiced um. Theodore Rex, his partner. If you ever seen the movie Theodore oh, Rex, oh, I didn't Goldberg. catch that. Okay, yeah. So his his partner, yeah, that's a whole other fucking thing. If you haven't heard three Theodore Rex, it's a <laughs> it's a Whoopi Goldberg Whoopi movie Goldberg. where she's a, a cop and her partner is a is a dinosaur. Um, okay, so but but his his partner's kind of had it up with him and like is sick of Puchinski and is like thinks he's loud, and obnoxious, and stuff like that. And that's sort of his attitude, kind of annoying. Um, but then they're on the stakeout. Boom, 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 boom. Some shit starts going down. Puchinski's on the run. Cars coming, screeching tires, gunshots. Blam! Uh, Puchinski sees that they're about to run over the bulldog that he just saved. So he saves him again. And in the process, he gets his ass run the fuck over by these uh, these goons. Yep. Um, but something so, magical happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something amazing happened. Uh, yes. So he's laying there and he's, he's, he's dying. And... Um, Puchin the fuck the dog Puchinski uh-huh. walks over to the dying Puchinski Peter Boyle and they sort of lock eyes and you hear some sort of that mystic nineties like you know like something kind of magic <laughs> is happening like uh-huh. like when Patty Mayonnaise walks by and stuff like that. Yep, there you go. That's Whatever. a good example. Yep. Um, so there you go, man. Uh, Puchinski is now in the soul of this dog. Uh, I do have a question. What happened? What happened to the dog soul? You know what I mean. I if the dog opened his body, where's the dog? You know, he's just in purgatory. Maybe they're both like living in the same body. All right. So Puchinski's partner uh, is, who's again, he's played by the voice uh, of Theodore Rex, is hanging out. You know, looking at the casket after the funeral for for Peter Boyle, and uh, that's where he first sees Puchinski as a dog, and he, you know, and this is a great puppet. Of a dog that they use, yes, and it's I mean, just it's, it's creepy as fuck looking, but it it yeah. comes off like pretty it's, realistic. It's just off enough looking to be yes. horrifying. They they <laughs> yes. cut it in between shots of an actual English bulldog, and then clo- the close up talking shots are this puppet, uh, and they do a pretty good job of it. Uh, you know, the, the um, and you know to sort of explain where the show's going, you know, Puchinski goes uh, first. I'm gonna try licking myself. And then I'm gonna catch my killer, and you're gonna help. <laughs> and uh, so his reluctant partner, <laughs> yeah, his reluctant partner is the only person that he speaks to. I don't. Again, this is not made clear in the pilot. Um, I don't know if other people can hear him, or only the partner can hear him, and or if he only chooses know. to speak to the partner. It, it's it's very unclear. Um, but you know, the partner takes him to the station. Where he pisses on the dickhead officer's leg and he <laughs> jams his face into the cleavage of the blonde office worker and he's yeah. like humping her really aggressively and stuff like that. Uh, I would say that Puchinski's personality is sort of like a slightly edgier Alf. So if you're an Alf fan, he's like that. But imagine That's Alf if point. he was if he was a little more tired, a little, a little more, more raunchy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this should have been a thing. I think kids would have had Puchinski stuffed animals. I think that there was a lot that could have been done with this pilot. I think that. They could have played with that RoboCop thing and and how he's a tragic yes. hero trapped in this body and uh, maybe maybe some point he sees a, there's a tragic story arc where he has to see his family and he can't communicate with them you know it's like RoboCop uh, and and Tusk by Kevin Smith or something like that you know smash together um, yeah that's a, that's a it's a pretty good comparison I I would watch it they didn't get to explore it that much uh, 
they play with it a little bit where he has a tragic mirror in the uh, moment in the mirror uh, where he says, I mean, I used to have my hair on my back, but this is ridiculous. You know, he gets kind of serious. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a subplot that's very clumsy about the reluctant partner trying to get with, uh, oh, uh, the redheaded lady from Problem Child. Uh, yeah, he's, he, she's the love interest. And um, <laughs> there's a really great chase scene at the end of this pilot episode that ends uh, in Puchinski biting the dick off this bad guy and... He's given the Medal of Honor and he's put into the canine unit, but I forgot um, about that. <laughs> it just now, ne- you know, that was it. I th- it never took off. They the uh, NBC didn't pick it up, but they just ran it. I guess they were looking for something to run that day, and uh, so we got a little taste of something that could have been. And, and I I think that this should have been. I think that this would, you know, a couple years later, a couple years earlier, this would have this would have been hot shit. But there was just something about. I don't design, know. You know. I I I kind of disagree with you. I think that this would have failed pretty miserably because just because of the concept there there were so many cops things going on like even cop rock was going on around yeah. that time yeah there there's there's you know the cop thing is problematic and and there's all stuff yeah. but I, the the main thing that i think it, that catches me with this is is three things i'll make it really quick okay i think one every kid should have a puchinski uh, plush doll you know, every kid should be walking around with an <laughs> English talks. bulldog with a badge stuck to him. That talk, you squeeze him and he goes, "Oh, I gotta take a dump" or something like that. Um, <laughs> yes. I think too. I think that there's a lot that could be explored about humanity and him being a tragic hero like RoboCop huh. trapped in this body. And okay. three, and most important, I think that like kids, I know I did. They they need people these characters who are smart asses there's not a smart asses anymore they need your alf you need your bugs bunny and stuff like that you know yeah uh i think kids would have taken to this guy and uh i don't know but shit it never happened okay. man i i can agree with uh, those three points i and i think that it, this is on youtube or something it's it's pretty accessible now since it's been unearthed so uh let us know what you guys think it's just the one episode Check it out. It's 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 one of those things that's almost hard to believe it's real. So you might as well check. He's reincarnated as a streetwise bulldog in Puchinski. All right, so let's change the channel here to Nickelodeon for a moment, okay? Oh, that's your jam. That's my jam. So I want to talk about how Rugrats production music was used for other TV shows. Oh, interesting. So I don't know why this came about. I was watching a couple shows from the early 90s, and I'm like, this sounds familiar. Why does this sound like Rugrats? So after doing some deep diving, I find out that Mark Mothersbaugh, who is famously known from Devo, uh, the band Devo in the, the 80s, early 90s, um, after he kind of uh, resigned from, from Devo, he started composing music and stuff. Um, he had his fingers in all these TV shows around the same time. And... Uh, Every single track or every single score sounds exactly like Rugrats, okay? It's got that bop, 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 Yep, bop, yep. Bop. So we're going we're gonna to get into that. So I, am, I used to be a really big fan of Rugrats. Uh, whenever it came on, Nickelodeon, I would drop everything to make sure I, that I watched it. Did not care if it was a rerun. I just loved it so much. So that music... The production music really stands out to me just because it's kind of quirky. It's very unique. Like it stands 
um, very different than, than anything else around the time. And you're right. It had like these voice kind of sounds to it. It was very kind of MIDI sounds, meaning that it was like a computer programmed sound. Yeah, he had this great um, synthesizer voice that was like O's and A's. And, you know, so you yes. could hear it like, bow, 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 bow. It was, yep. it was very cool. Exactly. Very unique. I really didn't hear anything like that from, from that era. So I was watching Disney Channel's Alice in Wonderland TV show from 1992. Do you remember this at all? I, I don't think you would because you didn't have that Disney nah, Channel. man. I, yeah, dude. At this time, I was watching fucking Star Trek Next Generation. You know, that was, that was, <laughs> yep. I didn't have cable yet, man. <laughs> so, okay. Let's listen to one of the tracks that's from the show. And you tell me if it sounds like Rugrats, okay? Okay. Oh, Diane. Voila! <laughs> All right, hair, cut the funny business. Uh, uh, you know where it, at first it doesn't sound anything like Rugrats until right, like there's a bridge right in the middle where it goes like, bah, bah, bah. like he's used that yes. same synthesizer voice before, definitely. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I. This happens a lot through Alice in Wonderland. There might even be like a point where you hear the bops and stuff like that. So when you listen to the the track, the first part is kind of the intro of the show. And you kind of hear the progression where it kind of sounds like uh, Rugrats. And then the second half of that, you kind of have to listen past the the people talking. But you can hear that little synthesizer with the baws and the, the voice kind of sounding things. So... You can definitely tell that a lot of that overlaps with Rugrats. But there's also another TV show that he composed the score for from the early 90s. And it's a um, – actually, it became – it came out before Bill Nye, the science guy. And this show is called Beekman's World. Oh, fuck yeah. Yes. So he composed uh, the production music for that. And uh, this one I feel like really sounds like – Rugrats. So let's go ahead and listen to that track right now. Uh, let's hear it. Yeah, uh, that one is. It sounds like you can you can take that and drop that in a Rugrats e- episode of like and it would work. One of the kids getting chased or something like that. Like it yep. would fit in the in the you know when they're in the closed toy store and there's the giant like King Kong ripoff. You know, yes. like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like chasing that's after them. Dude. Yeah, it's great, man. I like it. It's it's pretty amazing, and I'm glad that he was able to use that very unique sound, like that MIDI synth sound, and and spread it throughout all the kids shows that we were watching at the time. So, I just kind of want to say that my favorite composer is Mark Mothersbaugh. I I love the guy so much. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, my dad was in the Devo fan club when he was a kid and they, they sent him, um, <laughs> stepdad was too. <laughs> oh, was he really? Yes, he was. Shit. He was a huge Devo fan. Yeah. Did he get sent to the, uh, the pot holder thing yep. that goes yep, on when it head? first came out? Yep. That's, that's fucking right. Cool. I can't believe like that never came up before that both of our dads were in the Devo fan club. That's <laughs> fucked up. He was in the Kiss Army and the Devo Fan Club. <laughs> uh, I don't think my dad was in the Kiss Army, but he definitely was uh, in the Devo Fan Club for sure. <laughs> oh, that's that's fucking weird, man. That's cool. How crazy is that? So if you find some time, maybe like late at night, you're trying to go to sleep, look up his IMDb page. Look up Mark Mothersbog IMDb page and just 
find the shows that was coming out in the early nineties that he did uh, all the composing for, for the, for the score or production music and track those shows down and just listen. Cause you'll definitely see an overlap with Rugrats and Rugrats was the very first one that he did the composing or the, the score for, uh, for Nickelodeon and cartoons. So things are definitely being pulled from Rugrats. When you get done watching that, you can go ahead and head up north to Canada. Canada? And check out Phobe, the Xenomorphic <laughs> Experiments. I don't even know what that is. You've never, okay. okay, this is, yeah, another thing that you're going to really love, okay? This is Phobe, okay. P-H-O-B-E. I uh, want to start on the top by saying that this movie was made for TV, which is okay. why I've added it to our TV conversation. It was made, uh, it's 1995, <laughs> and it's Canadian, made for TV, shot on video, science fiction, action thriller movie uh, for the Canadian PBS splash local accent equivalent, which was called the Community Channel. Um, okay. And it's yes, about, that's what uh, Degrassi was on, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it's about uh, this alien bounty hunter who's tracking a dangerous monster, Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and so this was, this is very much, I haven't gotten to the, I haven't gotten to the most important part of Vogue, the xenomorphic experiments yet, because I just wanted to set the stage on, you know, it was played on Canadians equivalent to public, uh, Canadian, Ca- Canada's, uh, equivalent to public access or PBS. Um, and it was sort of a, a, a mesh of the Terminator that you could see definite Terminator influence there and Predator. Uh, the monster that he's chasing is kind of like a, uh, so here's the thing that's special about Phobe, the xenomorphic experiments. Um, it was made for $250. What? Okay. So this is, this is a, this is like, oh my God. All right. All right. All right. Super low budget. Well, okay. So here's the deal with that. Here's the deal. Um, uh, it was directed by a woman named Erica Benedicti, and uh, she was just about to get the green light on a horror film for five hundred thousand dollars, Canadian though. So, see how far those Canuck bucks go. But well, um, I, I tell you what, the exchange rate be- between U.S. and Canada is ridiculous. I don't know if you've ever looked at like comic books, and you'll see U.S. and then Canada, and it's always more expensive in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Shipping yeah. to Canada is fucking ridiculous too. So. Yeah. Maybe it went a long way. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the point was that she was about to make this movie for $500,000. It was like a pretty explicitly horror movie, um, but it fell through. And, you know, this this woman, uh, Erica Benedicti, she she had been working at the the community channel for a number of years. So she's she's in there. And she's like, fuck, I want to make my own movie. And this deal falls through for her her horror movie, and she's like, I'm just going to fucking make my own movie. I'm going to do this myself. I'll fund it myself. Oh, wow. So this was like a labor of love. Like, she really wanted to do this. It was a labor of love. Here's the thing. I haven't described it to you yet. It does look like they're shooting it in a backyard with a VCR camera, a VHS camera. Uh, Um, I love that, though. I love it. Well, that's... Yes, it's it is fucking unreal, dude. You know, so she, she the 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 thing fell through with the horror movie. She couldn't make it. It's going to be five hundred thousand dollars. She said, well, "I got two hundred fifty bucks to make a movie." And then she basically went all around her area. Uh, of she lives on the the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, and okay. uh, she was basically just shaking hands with her by saying, "Hey, like, hey, I'm making a movie. Can you uh, lend your camera?" Uh, and then it's Canada, <laughs> so people are like, "Yeah, go ahead." Have a good time yeah, now. You can have it for the whole the whole month. <laughs> Can't wait to see the movie now. 
Yeah. And uh, they should go across the street and say, like, hey, we really need industrial lights for our movie. Do you, can you give it to us? And the guy at the hardware store is like, yeah, take these lights for your movie. Can't wait to see it. Wow. So a lot of people um, donated cameras and and uh, lights and tapes and all. So it was a bit of, of like a community effort in yeah, a way. Yeah, it was a community effort. Um, and then her additional $250 for, for makeup, they – they set up a ma- uh, mask for the monster, and it is—it's—it's it's quite something. So, oh man, let me give you the official description real quick. Uh, an ex-military specialist is called in one last time to recover deadly military experiment Phobe, which has escaped, <laughs> tracking Phobe to a small planet called Earth. Dap must stop Phobe and destroy the egg within seventy-two hours. Okay, amazing. Um, okay. So, like I said, uh, this 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 movie was very low budget. It's like it was shot in a backyard. They had a couple scenes in like a junkyard. Uh, they used a lot of fireworks to make explosions. They used a lot of smoke yes. bombs. Um, but they really went for it. And actually, one of my favorite things about this um, that sold me on it, and I never okay, I I I'm a big fat guy. Okay. <laughs> So I don't want to ever sound like I'm talking bad about people, but the guy who's supposed to be the action star, the Arnold Schwarzenegger equivalent, he's a big fat guy uh, with a a harsh mullet, very harsh mullet. (laughs) And he has like, and he has a Canadian tuxedo on, you know, denim on the top and denim on the bottom, acid wash. Yes, denim, denim, denim. And (laughs) he's got like a really incredible like troll to delivery to his lines. Like he's wearing these, these Bret Hart wraparound sunglasses and uh, oh. somebody's like, why do you wear your sunglasses inside? And he's like, well, because, uh, you know, my eyes glow yellow. <laughs> you know, he's got this great – oh, it's just like – it's one of those things, man, that like – you know how there's movies that are bad that you could get enjoyment out of, like so bad it's good? Yes. You know, this is one of those – like people caught on to that and they started saying, well, I want to make my own bad movie. And they intentionally try to make a bad movie. You can't intentionally make a bad movie because no. it won't be entertaining. If you're if you're smiling and like nudging the shoulder of the viewers the whole time, like, oh, we know this is stupid, right? It's not going to be good bad. It's not going to be so bad it's good. You need to genuinely try and fail in order yes. to make a good bad movie. And And that's the thing. So you watch this and it's so bad, unbelievably bad. That you think, oh, they're really not. They know that this is bad, but it's not the case. They <laughs> fucking are really trying hard, Done and like you know, hardly. It, it's a, it's a, it's akin to um, if you've ever seen Tim Heidecker's recent show he did called Decker, which is oh, just yes. like, he, yeah, yeah, he's like it's a James Bond like ripoff kind of thing, or he he would say uh, Jack Reacher or whatever, but um. He he knows it's bad and he's making it bad on purpose and it's like edited bad and acting is bad because he's a pretty good actor in real life. But in the show, he acts specifically bad. So you see that and you think it's this, but these people are trying Taking to it seriously. do it. And that's – Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate and fact, that. I, I really yeah. love when people set out to – uh, manifest a dream. Like this, this woman really wanted to do it, put forth the time and effort to do it and wasn't afraid of the results. And that's why I, th- why I think some of these movies that we consider like bad but good movies have that same vibe. You can tell that everybody's taking it seriously. They don't care what the 
what the actual like production value will be. They just wanted to manifest their dream or help somebody out. And that's the reason why I think things from Canada like Trailer Park Boys work so well. It's because yeah. it's very low budget, but everyone is on board and everyone is taking it seriously. It has because, you know, things can – it could be bad. Things can be good. But the thing that you could feel is if something has heart, you know what I mean? If they're, if people yes. are really wanting to make this and you could see, uh, you know, it, it wound up getting released later, only, only a couple of years ago, it got released by, um, uh, this company called Intervision, which is like a subsidiary yes. of, uh, Severin Films. Intervention. Yeah. Um, yeah. so they, they, they released it on DVD and, uh, could see some behind the scenes as well as some commentary and stuff like that. And behind the scenes, you could see, that these people are just having the best time making this movie. They're having so much fucking fun. They're overacting, but they don't know it. Uh, their their <laughs> effects look horrible, but they don't know it. But the thing is, the interview with them, they're not delusional like a Tommy Wiseau or like uh, you know somebody like that. Like they 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 know it's kind of bad, and they're but they're not like embarrassed by it. They're sort of like, yeah, uh-huh. you know, it is what it is. Because the thing is, this movie uh, sort of became a Canadian staple it became this thing where like okay it, they would just play it on uh the community channel whenever there was a gap for an hour and a half and <laughs> it came to the point where it was like a local cult thing you know people would call the station saying hey i just caught the end of this thing where uh this big guy with a mullet and denim uh acid wash denim was chasing this guy with a mask on uh through the woods can you can you put that back on they would request you know that they play it again so people would play it wow uh they would play it again so it became this kind of cult thing you know and i want to cap it off by saying it's on our favorite app here on the show Tubi tv (gasps) okay okay i got watching that tonight give you a little homework by the way why do you wear those glasses even when we're inside And my eyes, well, they glow yellow. So I'm going to end my list on the way that you started your list. You said, uh, what were you doing on Saturday morning in 1995? Well, what were you doing on a Sunday evening, we'll say uh, 10 o'clock in 2002? Well, it depends on how many people are sleeping in my house. I don't think you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you were like me, I was staying up late to watch the Sunday night lineup of Adult Swim. Hell yeah. That's the golden era, man. Absolutely right. It is the golden era because it consisted of nothing but original stuff that they put together for this Adult Swim lineup. So I found this list of like a full schedule of what was on Adult Swim in 2002 on a Sunday night. And I wanted to go wow. down this list with you. Kind of like how we did our Nickelodeon, like what was on Nickelodeon in 1995. This is Adult Swim in 2002. If any of these like sparks a memory or anything, please interrupt me. I want to know, okay? Let's hear it, yeah. Okay, so here it is. We just finished Animation Domination on Fox. We just got done watching Malcolm in the Middle. We switched it over to Cartoon Network at 10 o'clock to catch some home movies. Yeah, one of my favorite animated series of all time. Fantastic. Me too. When I hear John Benjamin's voice like on Bob's Burgers or something, I can only think of Coach McGurk. (laughs) <laughs> early work of early work of Brendan Small, who would later go on to create Metalocalypse, and he yep. he he does the vocals in Metalocalypse as well. That's right, and he plays guitar. He's a great guitarist, uh, amazing. Yeah. 
I love that show so much. And there's like so much re- uh, rewatchability with it too. Like I can still go back and rewatch it now and still really enjoy it. It has one of the best um, kind of tragic endings of a series ever. It does. Which yeah. is uh, like Brendan is starting to realize like the movie thing isn't going to happen. The whole series, he wants to be a filmmaker and he's starting to realize like at the end, he's like, I don't think this is going to work. And him and his family are driving home and uh, the, he they hit a bump and he drops the camera out the window. And that's when he kind of accepts like, yep, it's this is it. It's it's over, which is very sad. I can really relate to that. And I think I do want to focus another segment just on home movies because uh, just because of my love for it and how much I can relate to that to that cartoon. So at 1030, it's Baby Blues. Hell yeah. That one, I don't have that much nostalgia for, but I really like it. It's one of those, like, I kind of grew up knowing that it was a comic strip. I didn't really find humor in the comic strip, but it translated really well when it became like an animated series. And I don't think it did very well on its original network, which I think was Fox. When the Cartoon Network bought the rights to it and started running the reruns on Adult Swim, it was perfect. I think it finally found its audience. Hopefully. I mean, I got to, I got to, you know, you got to hope that everything eventually finds its audience. I'm not too sure about that one. Uh, I don't know any fans of it. (laughs) Really? Yeah, like I've never talked (laughs) to anybody. I know a few, I guess. Remember that show? I I know. But uh, God bless, man. Everything in that era was really good. (laughs) It was. So at 11 o'clock, I made sure I was around to watch The Brack Show. Oh, yeah. That's Uh, that's another favorite. Yeah. I love it. It's it's a spinoff of Space Ghost Coast to Coast dealing with uh, Brack and Zorak, like his kind of co-host of – uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, but it was like his own little adventures. It was kind of like a somewhat of a reality slash sitcom with those characters, but it worked yeah, it was, it so was shot well. Like a, uh, it was shot like a like a family sitcom, like Roseanne, but with the characters of Brack, and then his mom looked uh-huh. just like him, but his dad was like a really small small Spanish man, <laughs> yes. and his neighbor was like a Gundam. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, yes. there's that one episode where his neighbor um, asked Brack to feed his. Goldfish while he's away. He's like, you can't feed him ham omelets. (laughs) No, you can't feed you can't feed him three hams. And he's like, I made it easy for you. If you feed him three hams, he's gonna die. (laughs) And he writes a song. He goes, three hams will kill him. Three hams will kill him. (laughs) You shouldn't feed him three hams. And then Brack, Brack can't remember it, so he goes, "What was the song?" Oh. Three hams will fill him. Three hams will thrill him. So he feeds him three hams and he fucking dies. (laughs) And that's what I loved about the show too. And I loved about the the Brat character. He always had these really weird quirky songs that he would sing to himself or he would perform. Like there was an episode where uh, Brat was trying to uh, get famous from his talent show and Zorak was making fun of him until he found this voice that made him like have a really deep good singing voice oh yeah and Zorak got famous and Brack was so sad about it and ah, I love that show so much I revisited it recently it stands up it's very good it still holds up and I don't understand why Adult Swim hates the Brack show they always like tempt us with like we're gonna put the Brack show back on air but they're like just joking we would never do that yeah, they've got a lot of things like that. Like, they always play The Room on April Fool's Day and stuff like that. Yes. They, they got some few things. I don't know, man. I, I think I think that there's some old guard stuff happening in Adult Swim, like with the old writers of the shows and, and the guys at William Street and stuff like that that we don't really know about yet. I know there's feuds yeah. and stuff like that. So I'm we'll sure. see when the books, the books are written in a few more years. 
You know, we'll see who the real asshole was and stuff. Exactly. And another reason why I like the show is just because it's the right length of time. It's like 11 minutes. So you can fill in another 11 minute show uh, right before 1130. So at 1115 was Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. Yeah, that was great, man. That was great. Another great one. You know, these shows like they, uh, Brack, Harvey Birdman, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and C-Lab 2021, they're all 11 minute shows. And you couldn't really do any more of any of those shows because you'd go fucking insane. Neither could they afford it. (laughs) They're like, they can't afford it, but also they're, they're like Seinfeld to the, they're about nothing, but like on, they're about nothing on steroids, put it like that. It is. And that's what Harvey Birdman was pretty much about. He just had his own uh, law firm and uh, he would take on different cases from Hanna-Barbera characters. So like one episode they had uh, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. And they were getting in trouble for smoking weed and stuff. And there was this whole case about how they were stereotyping them as stoners and stuff. It is hilarious. And I love the concept so much. That's the reason why I think it ran like five or six seasons. And it, they made a video game for it too. <laughs> yeah, they, they had a they had a video game for it. They also, I mean, like, it was really cool to see some of these uh, unpopular, like, Hanna-Barbera era uh, characters show up on the show because they had to go to court yes. and stuff. Like, like uh, Devlin, the motorcycle uh, stunt driver, you know. Yep. Like, all this great stuff. <laughs> I loved it. So then at 11.30 was, of course, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Number one in the hood, G. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's, it's, me too. It, that one means means so much to me. It was like uh, we talked in the past about like uh, growing up on Beavis and Butthead and then Ren and Stimpy and stuff, and like uh-huh. weird comedy. Like I guess you would refer to it almost as alt comedy these days. Uh-huh. And being into that kind of comedy at a young age makes it difficult to in, take in normal comedy, like the new Adam Sandler mm-hmm. flick or whatever the fuck. But then you see Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and you're like, this is what I've been looking for it's, since it's fresh, I last saw. It's new. Yeah. It's quirky. It, it translated very well to its audience, which was like teenagers and like stoner adults. Like it it worked so well. And it, it went on for like, what, 12 seasons or something like that? It ran for over a decade. It went on for a long time, then it changed names uh, a few times and kind of came back uh-huh. again. And it's 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 still like kind of around in some and always in some form like the uh It's some capacity, the, the, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then at 11:45 was C Lab 2021. Now that one is very important to me. It really is. That, <laughs> that, I, I spent a lot of time with that show. I don't know why that one spoke to me so much. I I guess but but I was I love the concept it, of the show. I love the concept of using an old cartoon called C Lab, um, reusing the cells, but just doing new voiceovers and stuff. Like it's a cool yeah. concept. It's a concept that really probably shouldn't work, but it works so well. It brought. Uh, it was one of the early career points of MC Chris. He, he did That's a, voice right. of a character called Hesh who worked in the uh, like the he worked in some industrial room in the C Lab, and the story <laughs> was that so <laughs> they said on the. Uh, <laughs> On the bio of Hesh on the Adult Swim website back in the day, they said he works in the engine room, <laughs> and there's a <laughs> there's a high pitched whining noise that never goes away. So everybody in the the engine room has a headache and a high voice <laughs> from it. <laughs> so like they're all pissed off. So whenever whenever they get Hesh on like the intercom, he's like, "Hey, what do you want?" He's <laughs> yes. got a really high voice. And like, Shut up! Stop it! He's got a high voice. He's always yelling at everybody. And MC Chris was also in Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Like, yeah, yeah. He was uh, 
Uh, MCP pants, yeah. And then uh, at midnight, you can't go without watching a little bit of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. That's a good way to wrap it up. It's a great, great episode uh, with almost any celebrity you think that's worth seeing being Tommy Wiseau is in it cartoon. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tommy. Yeah. yeah. Joel Hodgson from MST3K has, a, has an episode. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And that was kind of like what kicked off Adult Swim. Because I remember staying up really late in the mid to late 90s when uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast was a thing. It was called uh, Cartoon Planet at the time, I believe. Yeah. And then they started getting like celebrity guests on there. So they decided to kind of have a, a talk show, like a late night talk show. And uh, it was it worked really good. And uh, it, it kept enough traction to uh, kind of boost, um, at least kickstart Adult Swim. So you always had to pay tribute to, to Space Ghost. Keep, get all kids out of the pool. Yeah. Uh, adult Swim. Adult Swim. <laughs> but that's how I would spend my, my Sunday nights. I didn't care how late I stayed up or how tired I would be at school the next day. I just had to watch the full Sunday night lineup of Adult Swim. Hell fucking yeah. No kids in the pool. You guys are good. That's all kids out every Sunday and Thursday at 10 for Adult Swim. All right, man. I think this TV party is starting to wind down. How you feeling? I'm feeling uh, TV hungover. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so let's uh, let's wrap up the show then. So uh, definitely follow us on our Instagram, forever underscore bogus, and our Facebook. Just look us up. Where can they find you at, Jamie? I don't care. Wherever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't say this very often, but please uh, rate us and subscribe to us, share us, and uh, I don't know, write to us. I'm pretty sure we have a physical address somewhere you can just write to us. And keep on rocking in the free world. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, be kind. Rewind. And we'll both stay bogus. Or spooky. Or spooky. Um, Or stay spooky. Well, I think you got to keep the whole thing now where we can't decide which one. Yeah. All right. That's right. (laughs) That works. (laughs) And now here's the real ending. Bye. Bye. Yes, one for a nickel. Complain about Rwanda sounding like Angelica Pickles. Watching P&P, maybe Malcolm in the middle. Sail on Gary the Snail. Mr. McNeely, I hope one of these days you will bring me my mail. E-count, shot your little you hoover, order pale ales. You want dope with the diamonds, I got my bling with sales. Thinking I'm a gear, ride us like my cellar prevail. I got no rhymes for the VHS community. Got some lunch meat for you Nimrods. Rat King, Steve Jobs, on that PT style.